All right. Well, we're starting up a series that we're calling Chasing Huckleberries uh, this week. So kind of excited about that. I remember when I first uh, moved to the Northwest and uh, just hearing Huckleberry, 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 the only two things that I could think of that would, you know, when I did a Google search in my mind for Huckleberry was to think of the, the, the book, of course, by Mark Twain, right, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn, and I didn't think that was what people were talking about. Uh, but the other thing, and probably the closer to my heart association, uh, is of course the, the great movie Tombstone. And uh, uh, Doc Holliday's nickname for Johnny Ringo, you know, you're a daisy if you do, you're no Huckleberry. I mean, I'm your Huckleberry. I, I, I just love so much about that. Uh, I, I, I won't like lock down that that's why we named our daughter Daisy, but it is. And, um, and so uh, anyhow, uh, that, that's what I was thinking about. But people were always talking about picking huckleberries and chasing huckleberries. I lived in the, the Pacific Northwest for 10 years, believe it or not, before I ever picked a huckleberry ever, ever. In my, no, a, a whole decade. And uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, obviously a lot. Uh, but I, I, I recently, uh, during the, the break uh, that I had from preaching during our summer reading series, and how great was that summer reading series, by the way? My gosh. And uh, during that time, I, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands. Like, what am I doing? I, I don't have any messages to prepare. And so I, I picked a huckleberry, and I liked it. And um, so I decided I'm going to preach on huckleberries because the person who I was with was telling me all about them. And the more I learned about them, the more excited I got uh, about this treasure uh, that, that, that belongs to uh, the, the, the West Coast, the West Side of the, the United States, the huckleberry. Uh, turns out they are, they're not just a Montana thing. Matter of fact, I have a little list of the places where uh, they are commonly found. Uh, they're, they're in Wyoming. They're in Idaho. They're in Washington. They're in Oregon. Hello, Oregon. They're in British Columbia. They're also in smaller concentrations in Utah, California, Arizona, and Michigan. Those are the places where you will, you, you'll find more of them. But they have been found. They have been discovered. Not tons and tons of them, but they have been found in every single state on this map that's in green. Every single place on this map that's in, in green. So the point is, uh, do not go to Vegas if you want a huckleberry milkshake, because that is not going to go well for you. And obviously, that is a barren wasteland of no love that is purple and small and tastes delicious. So um, what is a huckleberry? Well, apparently, it's a cousin of the blueberry. It's a, it's a blueberry's distant cousin. Uh, but the huckleberry doesn't like to run that up the flagpole because it thinks it's way more delicious than the blueberry. And, and actually, there's empirical data to back that up. Turns out that there are more, a higher concentration of flavor chemicals in the huckleberry than in the blueberry, which explains its more intense flavor. It's so delicious, matter of fact, that, the, that one of the variations, I mean, there's so many different kinds of huckleberries. And I, I read that in Oregon, and there are 11 different species of huckleberry alone. But, but one of the, the kinds of huckleberries has a Latin word, as, as often things do, and the Latin word is deliciosum. <laughs> I was actually thinking, I don't buy it. I don't buy that that's the Latin word at all. Uh, here's what I see. I see the guy in the woods who's having, his job is to catalog and to name things. And I, he's like naming leaves and he's naming ants and he's naming things. And then he, he got lost for about four hours. He came out with purple smeared all over his face. His hands were sticky. He was in a sugar coma. And they said, what are you going to call that last one that you found? He said, deliciosum is what I'm <laughs> going to call it. That's what I think happened. It's my strategy about that. I can't prove it, but it's my thought. But outside of, of course, syrup and milk, 
milkshakes and waffles and, you know, whatever else you would put a huckleberry on. Breakfast cereal has been my favorite thing lately. I've been loving a handful of, uh, of huckleberries on some granola. But outside of just things that we would eat, I've been noticing a whole bunch of crossover between this amazing treasured berry uh, and uh, the, the life that God is trying to grow deep down inside of each of us. And if you're with me, uh, let's for the next four weeks, let's go on an adventure chasing after some of these huckleberries, seeking to get all that God wants to grow deep down inside the soul. And it, I don't know if you want me assigning homework or not, but the assignment would be, if you can, go out and find some huckleberries at some point during the course of this series. I don't care if it's on Amazon. You could do your shopping there. Just do some chasing for some huckleberries. If you have a Bible, First uh, Peter 4 is where we're going to kind of jump in. And if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, we always put God's word up on the screen. The last thing we would want is your friend invites you to come and check this out. And they assured you it's not, you know, super religious and formal and so you're excited, you're like, I don't have a Bible. I don't know where First Peter is. That's why we always make sure and put a giant Bible up on the screen for you. So we have the scripture right here. Here's what Peter says. He says, friends, I love that. It's just friendly. Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Don't you love that? Don't be quick to jump to the conclusion. Don't make your immediate assumption that God isn't on the job. That God's not looking out for you. And why does he say that? Because that's easy to do. It's easy to go through hardship and immediately assume that something bad has gone wrong and that God has dropped the ball. So don't do that. Don't jump to that conclusion. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick. You're deep in the bushes. You're deep in the, in the thick vegetation. You're deep in the forest of what Christ experienced. This is a spiritual refining process. You know what refining is, right? Where a metal gets superheated, and eventually they can get away the dross, and they can heat it again and scoop away the dross, and eventually in the furnace, and that's what pictures on Peter's mind here. Matter of fact, the very first phrase he used about difficult things coming up, the actual words in the Greek speak of going through the fire of a, of a, fire's, uh, a refiner's furnace. So that's kind of his, his thinking here, smelting, right? Make a pure, pure product at the end of the day. You are in the thick of the spiritual refining process. Notice this with glory just, you better respond, around the corner. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's glory just around the corner. Come on, shove your neighbor, tell him it's just around the corner. Now, it's not pleasant to go into a refiner's furnace, but the good news is the shiny bling-like status that comes just around the corner. Father, would you even now breathe on this moment would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us insight into what you would have us to see here in your scripture and in this life that was so important to Jesus that he died for us to have it? Would you help us, if nothing else, just to see and remember that you have a plan for our lives and you're up to something, even in the difficult details? And we pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. amen. Peter here is writing to people who are hurting. Now, all of us, at various points in our life, we go through things that hurt. I was talking to a couple people today, and uh, I just said, as we were talking, um, I've been thinking about hardship and suffering and difficulty lately. What's the hardest thing you've gone through recently? And the, just, it was, it was, it was like, it was like um, 
it was on the tip of both of these two people's tongues. It was just like, you want to know? It gave him permission. Well, my boyfriend, he cheated on me with my friend. Boom, just right there on the tip of her tongue. Uh, well, well, my, well my, my, my best friend's dad, he overdosed on drugs, and I had to be the one to tell my friend right there on the tip of his tongue because it was hard and because these things scar us and because these things lock us up. Peter's writing to people who have gone through such difficult hardship that he actually is comparing it to being burned. I don't know when the last time you were burned was. I was burned recently because I'm an idiot. Um, I was starting a fire. Now, use your imagination. Like a, and when you do, I want you to give me some like, cred when you imagine me making a fire. I want you to imagine me going into the wilderness and pulling a tree out of the earth without a saw. I want you to imagine me knowing the proper kind of wood that burns well and, uh, and, and assembling a stack of wood with twigs and dry kindling and moss that I pulled off the side of a tree. I want you to imagine me then using flint and, and some other thing to rub against the flint that would cause there to be sparks, that would cause a Bear Grylls-like situation uh, to be on my hands. And I don't want you to imagine what actually happened, and that is me lighting a Duraflame log in my backyard, because that would be embarrassing. Um, but after lighting the Duraflame log, which took a while, because I forgot that there's arrows in the bottom, I was lighting it somewhere else, and <laughs> you know you're not suited for country living wind, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> It takes you multiple tries to light a Duraflame log. <laughs> but I did it so long, apparently I had heated the lighter up more than I knew. And as I finally went away to, to, to stand up, I pushed it right up against my lion tattoo right here. And I just felt this And I looked down, oh my God, I'm burning my skin right now. That's what's happening. And uh, it hurt. Um, it hurt a lot. It hurt a lot more than I was expecting, matter of fact. Because why? Because burning hurts. And what these people were going through, what he, Peter knew it wouldn't be a stretch at all for him to describe it as burning, because burning stings. And it's just, when something on your body's burning, it's all you can think about. It doesn't matter how much is going right on your body. When you have a burn, that's every part of your body is thinking about that burn. And if you look at this in another translation, that's exactly what he said. He said, Don't, uh, do not think it's strange, beloved, concerning the fiery trial. The fiery trial. It's not just a trial. The fiery trial, which is to try you as though something strange happened to you, as though God wasn't doing what he promised to do to take care of you. Don't come to the conclusion, he is saying, that God isn't on the job. Don't jump to the conclusion that you're not being lovingly, diligently taken care of by the shepherd of your soul. Now, I want to be clear that we're not saying being burned doesn't hurt. We're not saying trials don't hurt. We're not saying these things aren't devastating at times. I want to make sure and honor the level of the pain that you're facing today. To those of you who are hurting, that's real. That's hard. And sometimes it's hard to imagine getting up another day. Sometimes it's imagine anything good coming out of the situation that you're walking through. That's real. And God doesn't ever want you to feel like you have to put a nice face on an ugly thing. Uh, it's a trial, and it's a fiery trial, and it's a horrible situation, and it's painful, and your pain matters, and it's precious to God, and, and he sees every tear, and he understands all of the stress, and he, he, he doesn't want to demean or to disrespect your suffering or to try and make you feel as though that's not somehow holy to, to hurt. Uh, so that's not what he's saying. Yes, it hurts. 
uh, but, but it hurts for a purpose. It hurts on the way to something. Yeah, right. And what we want to do in our time today as we begin this, this series of messages is not so much to speak of the fire itself and to not so much speak of the pain itself. Uh, I, I want to rather come in on the heels of that. And I want to talk to you today about what can happen where fire has been. That's the title of my message, where fire has been. You haven't heard it yet, but do you believe God's going to speak a word to your heart, to your situation, to your life? Where fire has been. Come on, say that out loud with me. Say, where fire has been. As unpleasant as a fire is, believe it or not, fires actually help huckleberries grow. Fire helps huckleberries grow. After a fire, not just, not just huckleberries, the landscape literally turns into a far richer green than it was the spring before the fire and on and on in the years that follow. The reason for this is, well, there are many reasons. I, I made a little list here uh, that I found on the internet, and so it must be true. Uh, competition for space, water, and nutrients gets reset to zero because the fire burns everything through that, burns that whole top layer. So everything kind of gets, a, gets an even uh, chance at, at getting those things that create the plant life. The darker soil after a fire attracts more early spring warmth. Why? Because darker things attract the sun. Wear a black shirt versus wear a white shirt, you feel the difference of what the sun attracts. When the whole ground is scorched, it attracts a different volume of that critical warmth. There's a third. The burnt plant material, it fertilizes the soil with massive amounts of material-rich ash because the ash is all plant life. So the plant life basically goes into the ground as this fertilizer. So those are some of the reasons why after fire comes new life, after fire comes new growth, which of course has so many parallels to what Peter is talking about here. But my favorite that I read and the, 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 the whole message in a sentence, this is a one point message. The entire message I have for you is this, where fire has been, it lets light in. Fire coming in, it lets light in. It lets some light in to the situation. That's what can occur after fire has been there. Why? Because huckleberries, like many other plants, grow best in sunlight. They, they, they so have a need for sunshine that once the amount of shade gets up to 30%, fruit production is critically lowered. Fruit production goes down as shade goes up. So the more shade that there is, the less fruit there's going to be because huckleberries love themselves some sunlight. Huckleberries are a fruit after my own heart, right? But other species that often grow around huckleberry, you will often find huckleberry around bear grass. You'll often find them around maple and willow, other brush like that. These things tend to grow up bigger. And as a result, they love to throw themselves some shade on the little huckleberry plant, which does not ever get super high. So what happens is, after a prolonged period of time, the things that tend to live around huckleberries get taller than the huckleberry plant. And so they choke up inadvertently. They don't have nothing hateful in their heart about it. But they just start choking out what is key to the huckleberry's success. And that is the sunlight because of all the shade that they throw upon the poor little plant. Enter fire stage right. Openings in the canopy are created through the fire that pokes holes in the ceiling and lets light in. And everything's back to zero once again. And the understanding of this has really shifted 
how the Forest Service has treated fires in our country. You see, for about 100 years or so, the goal was put every fire out you find. Fire bad. Don't let trees get taken out. We got to love our forests. We got to love, we got to love nature. So we got to fight the fires. Smokey the bear, he came in. Smokey the bear busted some huckleberry in the head is what he did because by preventing the fire that, quote, is nature's way, God, of course, put it in a place of regenerating itself, they inadvertently did more harm than good by putting out fires. And that's why many of the natural park, national parks have a let it burn policy, where unless a structure is in danger, they're going to let the fire go because it's sort of just like the Simba circle of life thing going down that pokes holes in the, in the canopy when things get too dense and, and all of that. So what happens after a fire is roots are the only thing that survives. Stuff below the ground is the only thing that survives after a fire, of course, sweeps through. By and large, it's what's below the ground. It's reset up top. And since stuff below the ground is the only thing that survives, it then can sprout out with a vengeance come spring and get first access to the sun that, it's, that it needs. The point is, we intended to do good by taking something harmful away, fire. And as a result, we inadvertently took away the thing that we were actually after. So it is with your pain. Many of us, if we could, would take pain out of the equation, would take difficulty out of our lives altogether. Now, that is going to happen. That is God's plan. It never was supposed to be a part of our existence from the first place. But in our present day, currently living in, if we took away the pain, we would take away our desire, and that is to become more like Christ, for him to do the precious work of making us like his son, Jesus Christ, which is his desire and our best interest. Ever since we lost that walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day, we've been groping for Eden ever since. And until we get back to heaven, the only way we're going to become more and more like Jesus is following him. And since we live in a fallen world, as we follow Jesus, the persecution, the difficulty, and just the hardship inherent in living on a fallen planet, if we were able to take away the hardship, we would also take away the very thing that we're after that is in our best interest. And it would do more harm than good to take away the things that we long for to be gone. And that is what's on Peter's mind that informs him, as he tells me and you, how to look at our trials, how to look at difficulty. He would have us to know it's not proof that God has abandoned you, and that is what is commonly thought. We, we use our, our hardships as evidence. We, we're building a case against God by the difficulty, forgetting that if there were no God, none of that evidence would count. If it was just all natural selection, if it was all just dog-eat-dog, dog, we would not struggle against difficulty. We would understand wolves eat lambs, and we get jacked because we're not always the strongest, and that's how it should be. We would feel everything is right in the universe when someone preys on us, when someone takes advantage of us, when someone steals from us, when someone rips you off, you would go, well played, well played, stronger animal, well played. But no, we don't do that. We struggle against it. We actually throw it up. There must be no God because I'm struggling against the thing that wouldn't be there if there was no God. Noodle 
on that one for a little while. But Peter is saying your hardship isn't evidence that there is no God. The pain that you're going through is actually a part of his plan to strengthen you. It's part of his plan to produce fruit through you. And if you took away those things, there would not be the ability to experience all that God has for you. So though it hurts... What we have to remind ourselves is it's a part of a plan. It's a part of a process. And always, above all things, to remember, glory is just around the corner. Don't forget the bigger picture. It's so important that as your pastor, I help you to have a biblical theology of pain, a theology that's robust on suffering and hardship because the devil wants to chew you up and spit you out and leave you shaking your fist against God when life goes hard. He wants you springing up like that parable of the sower and the seeds that Jesus told. And the one grew up no foundation and it was happy-go-lucky until hardship came its way. And then it withered and said, there must be no God because of the difficulty. But when you understand, when you factor in what happened in creation, what happened in the fall, what God has promised to do all the way through the arc of the biblical story, the meta-narrative, which is Jesus coming to redeem us and ultimately to crush the head of the devil and to rid us of those things that we long to be gone, that, 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 that we see then suffering comes, some of it, because we're just living in a fallen world. Right. Suffering comes, some of it, because we're dumb and we do dumb things, Right? And suffering also comes because other people do harmful things to us. And God, while sovereign over all of it, has a plan to redeem every difficult component in the story that he's working. That he had to allow it, but he has a plan to use it. And that means then we can look differently at our sufferings. And instead of reviling God in the midst of them, we can actually rejoice when we face them. That sounds crazy. You're telling me rejoice. Yes, I'm telling you exactly that. In fact, Jesus' little brother said the same thing. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2 and on. He said, consider it a sheer gift, friends, a sheer gift. Now, why do you have to consider it? Because it doesn't look that way at face value. The crap you go through and I go through does not ever look like a gift. It looks horrendous. So you got to choose to consider it, which is like translating Spanish into English, which is happening as I preach this message, English to Spanish, and then I just listen to English back to Spanish. It's amazing. I love that we have that at our church. And I love that we can all lean in and think about who, who possibly speaks Spanish as their primary or only language that could be benefited from coming to one of our locations and hearing the gospel. May God give us all eyes to, to look for opportunities to let people know that that exists. I love that we live in the age where we can do that. But, but we have to choose to translate it. When you translate, you hear it, you accept it, but then you put it into a different language. You pick a different word. So consider it means look at stuff and go, okay, I'm going to translate you now. I choose my own word, comprende, right? I pick my own word that I'm going to use for this. Consider it a sheer gift. Choose to believe it's that, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, am I describing your week? Choose to look at that as a sheer gift. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open. Don't you see a huckleberry coming up from the ashes? Don't you see this plant coming up from the scorched earth? Coming up, forced into the open where it can get that rich, nutrient-full ashen sunlight and water 
And then what can happen? You can flower and show your true colors. Our problem is we want the flower without the fire, but that isn't going to happen. We got to accept the bad with the good, and we got to accept with the good with the bad, and that means as long as we live in this fallen world, we got to be willing to look at hard stuff and go, it's a gift, it's a gift, it's a gift. God's got a plan. He's up to something. He's for me, not against me. He's working this. He's building patience in me. He's building endurance in me. He's building long-suffering in me. He's making me who he made me to be when he created me. He's making me who Jesus died for me to be. He's building in me. He's working in me. He's not done with me yet. He's got a plan. I believe it. I choose to receive it. I'll walk in it. I don't understand it. I hate it sometimes, but I love you, and I know you love me more, and I know you care about me, and I know you sent your son to die for me. I'm not going to live casually. I'm not going to live half-heartedly. I'm going to worship you. Though you slay me, I will follow you. If you give, if you take away, you drive. I'll be in the back seat. Take the pink slip. That's how we want to live our lives. Consider it a sheer gift, brethren. When you have hardship facing you at every turn. Where fire has been, light can come in. So where do we look for glimmers of this hope and glimmers of this light? Everywhere. But I wrote down just a couple examples. Priorities. Look for your priorities to shift. When you choose in faith to speak over your hardship, when you speak over your fiery trial, your gift, you're a badly wrapped present. I'll give you that. <laughs> but you're a gift. And I believe that though the wrapping paper is horrific, that what God has deposited inside this is going to be for my good. Maybe not right away, but one day. And when you choose to believe that over your trial, watch for your priorities to shift. It's impossible to live with your heart in heaven, but still to be obsessed only with physical things. Right. It's impossible. You cannot wake up every day and say, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, but then be just uh, uh, complaining about every little thing. And, and to be uh, obsessing over followers on social media, it, like, it, just, it just changes your priorities. You'll, you'll, you'll notice that the things of this earth have a way of going strangely dim. Things that just seem like all, that's all that mattered. But when you're looking beyond your trials to what's beyond them, that's eternity. That's God having a plan. You'll watch these things that at one point you would have you said, that's my whole life. That's my everything. You're like, that's not really all that significant. I care about that. I appreciate that. I, I bought that. I, I built that. But that's not my everything. My hope is in God. My life is in God. You can take that away, and I'll still have Christ. You can take that away, and I'll still have heaven. You could take away my, my health. You could take away my limbs. You could take away what I love, but I'll still have Jesus. Nothing can separate me from that love. And when you live that way, it's just a different priority. It's a shift in in what you value. It's a shift in what's important to you. There's a second, I, I jotted this down, your, uh, your sense of God's presence. It has a way of, 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 of just, just, just absolutely uh, becoming almost 3D when you're remembering God's plan and choosing to speak life over your trials. You just notice him everywhere. You see, sometimes, and maybe this is just as, as, as simply as I can put this, sometimes it takes feeling alone to remember that you're not alone. 
Because when you're distracted and noise is on and everything's good, sometimes it's hard to really, by faith, foster God's presence around you. But when you're having to, to, to channel all the strength you can from Jesus just to even breathe your next breath, you just have a way of remembering he's right there because you're just holding on to him. Isn't that what Jesus kind of said in the, the, the beautiful passage of scripture that is the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 5, when you're blessed, or you're blessed rather, when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Come on, just pause there for a second. Let that sink in. What a blessing it is to come to the end of your rope. Because when you have a lot of rope, sometimes you don't remember. Can we go back a, a, a screen, please? Thank you. You don't always remember that, that God is more and you're less and that there's more of him than there is of you. You don't always, you're not always conscious of his rule. Like when you're flush with cash and everything's good and everyone's singing your praises, you're not running around going, everything's under God's rule. No, like sometimes you're running around going, I'm the man now. Like you're, you're just happy. And that's nothing wrong with that. God rejoices in your happiness. But, but what a blessing it is at times to just be reminded through lack how much you have in God. And then Jesus continued. He said, you're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who's most dear to you. So what a treasure it is at times that God would allow us, that God would love us so much that he would trust us with the tragedy of loss. And that we who go through that and feel like something so precious has been stripped away from us that we then get to be reminded of what is most important to our soul. And that comes through the blessing that is God trusting us with trials. I, I wrote this down, Revelation. You see things you didn't see before. You're aware of truth you, you, weren't, you weren't aware of before. You read passages of scripture like you've never read them before because of what pain does to quicken your senses. Fire, generally speaking, desensitizes human flesh, takes away nerve endings. But when the Holy Spirit is involved and we face the refiner's fire, it actually causes there to be a, a multiplication or a profusion of nerve endings to where we, we become aware of even more. It's almost like a sixth sense get at, gets added on because of our suffering. I remember back to the moments um, in the weeks and the months and uh, the, the quarters of years that went on after we faced the death of our daughter, Linya, and her suddenly going to heaven. And just, I read the Bible differently. There was new revelation that came at a terrifically terrible price, but, but, but all of a sudden, I'm reading a passage of scripture that I've read a thousand times about the Bible telling us we have hope like an anchor for the soul, but I'm reading it differently because I feel like the waves were coming up over my head. There's a revelation that can come that then can be beneficial, not just for you, but for anybody you share it with. And as we came this past week to the two-year anniversary of Through the Eyes of a Lion, that book that we wrote out of that, where we tried to share everything God gave us in that crucible with the world, it was just so beautiful and humbling and full circle to look back at revelation he gave us to make it through. Because I never wrote that book for anybody else. I wrote that book just because I needed it personally, actually. Those are the truths I wrote with tear-stained pages of my journal and was just telling my girls just so we could get up in the morning, but that that would then get to be used to help other people through their difficulty is just overwhelming. But it reminds me of how much revelation you're opened up to when you're hurting, if you take advantage of it. The sunrise and sunset are just as beautiful whether you're there to watch them or not, though. And if we don't take advantage of that revelation, if we don't lean into it, if we're not walking, if we numb ourselves with, with substances or distract ourselves or dull ourselves or some other unhealthy coping mechanism, we can in fact miss the very thing that was God's redemptive purpose in the trial, 
It's still going to hurt no matter what. But what you get out of it is 100% up to you. I wrote this down. Opportunity. Opportunity. Huckleberries aren't the only plants that take benefit out of fire. The great sequoias in Yosemite, the great Sierra Nevada, these amazing trees, they actually have seeds that can only multiply and propagate in fire. They have a waxy coating on them that has to be melted down before the seed can actually successfully reproduce itself. And so think about that, that there are perhaps parts of your calling that cannot be seen yet unless they are heat activated. That's a different way to look at your trial. Come on, encourage somebody around you. That's a different way to look at your pain. That's a different way to look at your loss. Like, hey, there's probably some seed in here that had to get heat activated. God didn't cause my trial, but this from the foundation of the world was his sovereign plan to redeem it and make the devil pay for what he was dumb enough to ask God for. And so God said yes, allowing it that it might accomplish his agenda and further bless his kingdom in the world. Passion, that's another thing. Uh, this is what light lets in, passion. Uh, John Phillips, he said this, and I quote, testings jolt us out of the comfortable ruts into which we tend to settle. They provoke a reaction. And that, that body at rest, it's hard to get moving, Newton would tell us. But when, when there's a, a great thing that happens, a great jolt that happens, like grief or tragedy or loss or any hardship or any sickness or any affliction, it can be then the action that causes us to be propelled out of the rut. And if we're willing to receive that push to move us in the right direction with an infusion of passion, with an infusion, the same energy that can cause someone to raise that fist can cause them to raise that hand and worship the God who has a plan, who loves us, who's for us, if we'll choose to allow that energy to propel us forward and not backward, we can run into God's arms and not away from him. I guess it all comes down then to whether you or not you can sing when you've been singed. How much you're willing to worship on an ash heap and to be devastated and to be just, just stricken and to feel like you, you're, you're, you're aimless and that everything's different from how you thought it was going to be. But to still choose to put all your hope in him and to still choose to find all of your fountains in him and to find your life in him and to love him though he smite you, though he slay you, to just keep trusting him because he was willing to see his son die for you and to just believe that he is not foreign to your suffering or separate from your suffering. He entered into it. And when you walk that way, your worship has the most power, I believe, because it's the most effective before God's throne when you understand his agenda the least. Because then it requires faith to worship. When you see what he's doing, it doesn't take faith. It doesn't mean your worship's not valuable. But when you can worship a God who you don't understand, who maybe you're, you, you feel angry at, that I believe is when your praise moves heaven because he sees the faith that drives it. But caution. In all of this, don't wait until your worst to drive that life deep down. Because if the fire cuts away everything above the surface and you don't have life that's been driven deep down, there's nothing to come raging out of the ground come spring. And that's why it behooves us in our clear moments, in our level-headed moments, in our calm moments, to, to put into place the habits and disciplines that are going to be there to be of benefit to us when life hurts the most. 
That's why it's so important to have community within our church. We call that being a part of a Fresh Life group or being a part of an impact team, which all you have to do is go through crash course to get onto a team. Then there's people calling you every week. You don't show up, there's someone calling you. You want that? You want phone numbers in your phone full of people who love Jesus? You want people you see every day who you feel like they're family because they are family to you, blood bought by the Son of God himself. He bought you a family. Hello. Right? You're like, well, I don't live near my family. Oh, Jesus one time, someone said, your mother and brothers are outside the door. He said, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Those who do the will of God. He found community. He found family. His family did not yet believe in him. So he found family with those who followed him, and that were his disciples. So we need to do those things before the difficult days come. And then lastly, here's a word of warning. It's a second caution. You mustn't be in a hurry. You mustn't be in a hurry. Because when we talk about fire coming through and then sun getting to shine on the ground and things coming up that produce fruit, that's not instant. That's not quick. That's not in a day. That's not in a week. That's not in a month. Matter of fact, I read of a study that was done in Western Washington where they tried to mimic Native American habits of burning ground to increase the success of huckleberry growth, which they believe that some uh, Native Americans actually practiced on a regular basis to continue the flourishing of, of, of the huckleberry product that they would dry and then eat during the wintertime. And so they went in to mimic this, and people were frustrated and disappointed when they came back a year later and found no huckleberries at all. And they said this, this is someone from actually the Forest Service, quote, he said, the biggest majority of the fruit that you will see is not in a year, it's not in a two years, it's going to be in three to four years, but it can take as long as 10 to 15 years, but once it's in effect, that can be felt for as long as 75 years. So what God's working is so much bigger than you because he was there before the foundation of the world and he sees into the future, into the end where he reigns as king forever. So we can't be frustrated when we don't feel like we've made progress in our grief so quickly, in our hardship so quickly. We have to believe that stuff is happening deep down and if we're faithful to water, faithful to sow, faithful to plant, faithful to cry, faithful to bleed, faithful to believe and still trust him and believe in him and lift up our voices that we can see the end result that he has in mind. So come on, hop up on your feet all across our church. Let's lift up our voices and sing. Let's believe that he's going to work tragedy and blessing into good. Come on, lift up your voice. presence, head bowed, eyes closed, believe that God's light is coming in through your pain. Come on, just lift up your voice and thank him if you believe it's true. Just rejoice over your problem. Rejoice over your faith. Count it a gift. Believe that there's a gift inside of it.
that God's light, which casts no shadow, can come in because of the pain that he is smart enough to allow into our lives. All of us praying, heads bowed, eyes closed, everyone across our church, if you're hurting today and you just know beyond the shadow of a doubt, whatever your pain is, your fiery trial is, if you know God was speaking to your heart today, could you just lift up a hand in his presence just to tell him thank you? Just lift up, a, you can lift up both hands if you want. With tears streaming down your face, just, just, just tell him in your own words, in your own heart, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help me to believe. Just tell him that. Help me to believe. Tell him, help me to see. Help me to not get sour. Help me to stay fresh. Just tell him you receive what he's pouring out through his spirit into your heart. You receive that strength and mercy for today. Father, I pray you bless these who are hurting. Would you just pour down that strength and pour down that grace? God, just help them to feel just so seen by you, acknowledged by you, and celebrated by you. We don't see beyond the curtain, but if we could, we would have seen God rejoicing over Job's faithfulness and hardship. May we by faith just trust that you're there and you care. What an incredible message. Thank you so much for joining us in this teaching from Fresh Life Church. If while you were watching this message, you felt led to make a decision to follow Christ, congratulations. We would love to send you a Bible to help you begin your relationship with Jesus. Please click the Know God tab at freshlife.church or text the word FRESHLIFE to 99000 to receive that. If you've been impacted in any way through what God is doing through Fresh Life Church, we would love to hear from you. Click the Share Your Story tab on our site or email us at story at freshlife.church and share how God is using this work to impact your life. These stories are incredibly encouraging to our staff and our church family. Finally, if you'd like to partner with us and financially support the things that God is doing through this house, you can text the word FRESH to 45777 or you can click the Give tab at freshlife.church. Thank you so much for watching.